0: You're listening to Bloom and Tech with David Bloom. This podcast is sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Bloom and Tech. I have a couple of things on my mind this week I wanted to share with you, and I'll have some more things down the road as well, I suspect. But uh, for now. Let's talk about Apple, or at least one part of Big Apple Week. Every fall, they do a big announcement about their iPhone's latest models and uh, throw in a lot of other things. This year it was particularly interesting because they finally have a couple of streaming services that they're going to be rolling out, one for games and one for streaming video. They are actually arriving soon, not just one of these days, but they have a date, they have a price, and in doing so, Apple... Headed to the bargain bin this week when it came to pricing for both. Uh, No one's worried about Tim Cook's covering his next meal with these reduced prices. After all, the company once again jumped above $1 trillion in market capitalization after the announcement. But Apple's pricing positions may ruin dinners for a few competitors who will need to review their business models in coming weeks. Apple is still charging plenty of money for plenty of the products it announced on Tuesday. Indeed, one Washington Post take was headlined, iPhone 11 first look, that's an awful lot of cash for a camera. While true, I still can't make a call with my Sony mirrorless camera, much as I love it, and however capable it is of taking amazing photos. But there are deals to be had with Apple for the first time in a while, especially in the soon-to-be-crowded sectors of streaming video and games. Let's start with that $4.99 monthly price for Apple TV+, Plus, the service that will showcase some $6 billion worth of premium scripted programming, such as The Morning Show. That high-profile series about an embattled morning news program stars Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carroll, and Reese Witherspoon, a couple people you may have heard of. They reportedly spent millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to make this uh, series, more than even HBO's final season of the Game of Thrones, and it didn't even have a dragon in it, though some might argue that Jennifer Aniston's character has a bit of Westeros coursing through her veins. Many other TV Plus programs have been slow to arrive, and still will be slow to arrive, Which will make for a slim set of viewing options on debut day, but I suspect those will show up soon enough as Apple figures out what to do with this whole Hollywood thing. More importantly, though, that $4.99 price undercuts Disney+, Plus, which is set to debut 10 days after TV Plus shows up and for $2 a month more. Already a bargain price, I think, for what Disney Plus is doing, but uh, clearly a loss leader. Disney Plus is near bulletproof, as far as I'm concerned, and unlikely to be notably affected here, especially in the bundle that Disney also has announced with Hulu and ESPN Plus for $12.99. But for everyone else who's jumping on the SVOD ship, Apple's prices will not only complicate their plans, they will probably ruin their dinners. HBO Max, for instance, has already seen a lot of pushback over a planned $17 a month price for a service that won't launch until April. Will AT&T need to cut prices to get adequate sampling and sign-ons to make HBO Max go? And what does this price do for the business model of Comcast's still unnamed service or that voodoo redo we keep hearing about from Walmart? I'd be particularly remiss if I didn't wonder what this means for Quibi, which is already trying to raise more money beyond its initial $1 billion in funding and just lost two senior executives. The TV Plus price is $3 a month less than the ad-free version of Jeffrey Katzenberg's mobile-only service and $1 a month less than the ad-supported version. And it, like HBO Max, isn't scheduled to launch until April. Now Quibi faces a far richer, far cheaper competitor that also happens to make the mobile devices on which Quibi would hope to find many of its viewers. And that competitor is already getting criticism for advantaging its own apps on the iTunes store over those of competitors. None of this looks promising for Quibi and its crew. Apple's service will debut with a thin initial selection of shows, true far less than Netflix and even less than what Disney Plus showcased last month at D23. But at this price, I'm guessing many people are inclined to jump on and stay signed on rather than churning on to the next SVOD option a few weeks later. And that just means less money for the next service to arrive. Another key differentiator will be Apple's international ambitions. It will debut in 100 countries. Disney Plus will launch in a handful initially with plans to be widely available within two years. Quibi won't be anywhere but the U.S. and Canada because of the complexities of an international rollout and its new uh, interface that they're creating, which means that they won't have the opportunity to make a splash anywhere else. And though I am skeptical how much TV Plus will affect Netflix, there is one place where its new offerings could really matter, in India. Apple is offering a bargain mobile deal for TV Plus in India, the equivalent of a buck forty a month. I don't know how many rupees that is. It's not very many, though. That's about half the price of the bargain India mobile deal that Netflix just announced this summer. The subcontinent is about to become the world's most populous country. It may be the most attractive growth opportunity for Western media companies, though it's a complicated place to grow a media business. If Apple can grab up some of the mobile audiences that might otherwise opt for Netflix or other providers, it could crimp their growth prospects significantly. And after the market pasting that Netflix took last quarter when it missed subscriber growth expectations, problems in India could lead to problems everywhere else. We may see something similar play out on the game streaming side, though it, like India, is another land altogether. Arcade at $4.99 per month, could undercut the business models of services from Google, Verizon, and others, while providing access to around 100 games from big-name creators. The difference here is in target markets. Google, Verizon, Ubisoft, EA, Steam, and other streaming game services seem to be targeting hardcore PC and console gamers, quote-unquote, who want to be able to play their chosen titles and share their progress and winnings on even a moderately competent hardware device anywhere they are. Apple, by contrast, seems to be setting up Arcade to connect to the vast market for mobile games, a very different demographic and mindset than that of traditional gamers. Market analyst New Zoo says more than half the world's $134 billion in game revenues last year came from mobile, so it's a pretty good market. And Arcade's subscription approach could ease some of the worst parts of the mobile market that Apple and iPhone helped spawn, however unintentionally. These days, most games are free-to-play titles featuring in-app purchases designed to wring every single nickel out of those compulsive whales among their consumer base. It's a little bit creepy and a little bit like the gambling business, and it's probably something that Apple wouldn't mind evolving to something else, and thus we have Arcade. If you're playing and paying to feed your Jones, you may welcome the option of spending just $60 a year for all-you-can-eat access to a bunch of good to great titles. It may be disorienting to not have to pay to be successful in a game, but I'm guessing plenty of people would love the opportunity to find out. It's harder to confidently project where an arcade-driven shift in market preferences might go, but it could impact not just Stadia or Steam, but also mobile revenues from Activision, EA, Disney, Ubisoft, Jam City, and many other established publishers. Once again, Apple may be quietly setting off a trend especially if the economy sours in coming months and people have to choose where they spend their money. Sinclair's CEO Chris Ripley called the SVOD business a sea of red, quote-unquote, last year. Apple's move may dump even more companies into that sea. be right back we'll have a little message from some of our sponsors i do hope you listen closely because they're wonderful just as wonderful as all my wonderful listeners and we'll be back with some more commentary about another issue of note out there right now Um, hold on and we're back Thanks for listening. This is David Bloom again with Bloom and Tech, and uh, some more thoughts on some of the changes that are going on out there. This is also about streaming video, particularly about a shift in the ways that companies can make a living in this business if they are niche providers, not trying to take on Apple directly. The music industry has long been the choking, gagging, barely surviving canary in the dank and dirty coal mine of entertainment's digital transformation. The good news, the music business is kind of back. Admittedly, it took a decade for the choking and gagging to ease, but now revenues from streaming services such as Spotify and Apple Music finally make up for all the money lost when people stopped buying physical copies of songs. Now streaming companies comprise 80% of the $9.8 billion music business. Along the way, though, the industry's near-death experience forced a lot of innovation and entrepreneurship, most particularly in so-called 360 deals between a label and the performers that it signs. Rather than just relying on a cut of those vanishing music sales, labels had to look more holistically at their performers' careers, investing in and profiting from such areas as touring, publishing, licensing, and merchandise. If this sounds familiar to anybody in the online video space, it should. It's a lot like what we're seeing many YouTube uh, creators doing as they build an audience. The name for such deals refers to 360 degrees, as in all-encompassing, and 360 is an approach that we're now seeing other parts of the online video business embrace. It's no longer enough for a video service to rely on just video to ensure that it can survive and thrive. With Disney+, Plus, Apple TV+, Plus, HBO Max, Quibi, that unnamed service from Comcast, and everything else coming, it's really not going to be enough soon. That was the big lesson from a panel that I moderated this past week featuring top executives from Elation, Whistle, Condé Nast Entertainment, College Humor, and service provider Applicaster for a conference on OTT and online video services. Eric Berman, Elation's head of Partnerships and Business Development, said you have to go beyond video. After some post-acquisition pruning by AT&T, Elation is now home to VRV, the nerd's most favorite ever video bundle and longtime video providers Crunchyroll and Rooster Teeth. Video providers, Berman said, must diversify into merchandise, events, video games, or, quote, whatever you can think of, unquote. That pretty well describes what Crunchyroll and Rooster Teeth are doing, both of which have been serving up online video for more than a decade. Crunchyroll has 2 million paying subscribers and 50 million registered users watching a steady diet of anime episodes straight from the mothership. New series debuting hours after they first run in Japan. Rooster Teeth has been selling video programming such as Red vs. Blue in every conceivable delivery format for most of this century, predating even YouTube while building an ardent fan base and adopting each new distribution technology as it came along. But both services, for all their deep ties to the interwebs, have significantly diversified. Rooster Teeth, for instance, has its annual RTX conference in Austin, Texas, while Crunchyroll now has its own live event, too. Other companies are jumping in on the 360 bandwagon. My old friend Javon Frazier is leading Studio 71's ambitious investments in game spinoffs from its talent, such as Guava Juice. It's kind of what you have to do. My other panelists agreed, including Richard Cusick, CEO of College Humor's dropout service. Quote, he said, everything you do needs to have a merchandising component. That's why you see Netflix rolling out multiple video games based on its biggest, stickiest hits, especially Stranger Things. It's also why Viacom bought VidCon, the huge gathering of social media influencers now expanding internationally. Of course, some of the big boys coming in streaming video have been maximizing their opportunities everywhere for a while. Disney is the past master at this, going back to its namesake, Walt himself, who in 1957 famously created an intricate chart showing the interplay between the studio's film operations, the nascent business of TV, its then brand new theme park, Music, retail, magazines, comic strips, and merchandise. As you can imagine, Disney's added a few other things since then, and it has only gotten more and more sophisticated about the way it runs what I like to call the brand washing machine. Now everyone else gets to catch up. That means niche players like the college humors and crunchy rolls and whistles need to find new ways to diversify and take care of their superfans. The next step, as shown by the VRV bundle, is gathering services and experiences into a batch of offerings at a tempting price that can keep the superfan close by. Berman called it the 360 approach. It means taking all those formats, bundling them, and then putting one price on it. VRV includes access not just to Crunchyroll and Rooster Teeth, but also Boomerang, Cartoon Hangover, Curiosity Stream, High Dive, Mondo, Nick Splat, and VRV Select, all for a bargain price. Throw in the live events, games, merch, etc. and you're feeding the bottomless appetite for more cool stuff to a specific niche of fans. Disney, no surprise, is already there too, recently announcing a bundle featuring Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Hulu, and ESPN+, that just happens to cost $1 a month less than Netflix's most popular package. It's almost certainly a money-losing price, but Disney cares much more about getting lots of subscribers signed up fast, at least for now. If you're wondering why Disney's willing to eat several hundred million dollars in short term losses, please refer to Walt's diagram and remember the new cycle that it's adding to the washing machine. Apple is clearly headed to the bundle business too, though they haven't yet announced it. It's pretty easy to envision the bargain bundle of iTunes Music, TV Plus, and maybe News Plus, perhaps the arcade game service, and iCloud Storage. All of that together for mm, 30 or 40 bucks looks pretty darn good. The other part of this, and it can't be overlooked, is social media. Croy McNamara, Condé Nast's SVP of Programming, said just because you have an OTT service, you can't overlook YouTube and the other video-friendly social media outlets. Condé Nast Entertainment has used its YouTube channels to test concepts that later can become streaming channels or programs for the publisher and other distribution outlets. Just this week, they announced a GQ Sports channel on uh, YouTube, one of the latest efforts to extend what they're doing, their brands, into various sectors that they feel like are complementary. For now, Condé Nast is creating streaming channels for Wired and Bon Appetit, based on the strong audience responses to their YouTube content. Sooner or later, expect niche video services from all 17 Conde Nast publications. And I'm betting you can expect more Wired tech culture gatherings, Bon Appetit food weekends, Architectural Digest design showcases, and Vogue Fashion Week events. The social media video content can be a farm team for the pay site, where content is tested for elevation to the SVOD service. It can be a Barker channel, tempting casual fans and converting some to subscribers. And it can generate its own revenue, with ad money and sponsorship deals, native content, product placements, and more. The bottom line, when you're looking to make your online video service a success, look at all the other things that don't involve video. Isn't it nice to be holistically one with your fan universe? Repeat after me. Om. Anyway, that's our show. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you listening. If you like our stuff, please rate, review, share, subscribe. We can be found on 10 platforms. Uh, I start out on Anchor, which is owned by Spotify, and Spotify is making a big push, so maybe you can check out Spotify. They are a sponsor these days, and I quite appreciate that. You can also, if you really like what I'm doing, you can become a supporter and chip in a few bucks through Anchor.fm's supporter system. And I would really appreciate that to help keep the wheels greased on this uh, ever so powerful media machine. If you'd like to connect with me, please follow me on Twitter at David Bloom on LinkedIn, David L. Bloom. You can always reach me uh, here through audio comments that anchor.fm enables on all the places where you can hear this podcast. In the meantime, I hope you're doing well. I look forward to hearing from you. I'm going to be out uh, out in New York for a conference in a couple of weeks and uh, moderating a cool panel and plenty of stuff going on in October as well. I will talk to you all soon. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech. Over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California.